It was a great time with worship with the kids today, uh, having them stay up and worship and, and join us. You never know how the moments go when you have kids on stage and uh, for even just hearing a story. You know, it could be beautiful, it could be serene, or it could be chaos, or somewhere in between, right? And uh, everyone is there, and everyone thinks it's hilarious, except for the parents of that guilty child, right? The, the parents that are like, oh, it had to be you today, didn't it? You know, I knew I shouldn't have given you that sugar cereal. But, and everybody else thinks it's like the best thing ever. Over the years, we somehow were able to avoid, you know, those slumping in the seats moments where you're trying to, like, hide and not be seen. I don't know whose kids those are. Uh, we avoided that, but we definitely loved all the beautiful moments that other ki- people's kids, uh, you know, gave on those Christmas days, you know. But it really is a microcosm of how our expectations for Christmas go, and maybe in life, right? We come to Christmas looking for something, and... We don't know whether we're going to be elated or dejected. And fear is real. We don't know what life is going to give us. And we, we look out and we're sometimes peeking out the door and seeing, is it going to be good or am I going to be massively disappointed? In my house, growing up, I, I was known as uh, the Grinch. Or even in my house now, I'd probably be, be, if you had to pick somebody in my house to be the Grinch of Christmas... I win. I win. We actually watched that movie last night, and I was like, that was my fam right there. Until the end, where his heart grew 10 sizes bigger. (laughs) Um, I'm a Grinch. I I had taken, I had convinced myself that that Christmas was all commercialized. Everything about Christmas was a commercial. It was, it was all awful, and there was no significant spiritual value whatsoever to celebrating Christ's birth. I know, I told you, a Grinch. And uh, I had grown up with uh, the Christmas, the full spectrum of Christmas uh, growing up years. We had some amazing Christmases, and we had some that were not so great. And by the time I was getting into my teen years, preteen to teen years, uh, I had taken it on myself. I was going to be that, that Christmas cheer person. I wanted to have all these idyllic moments where, you know, like the ones that you could paint a picture of. The, that's the ones where everybody's sitting down eating dinner and everything looks great on the table. It's set beautifully and everybody is getting along, right? And having a great time. And it looks like, you know, peace on earth. Uh, and that's what I had wanted but after a couple of years, consecutive years of it not being that, of it being seemingly quite the opposite, where it was like trying to drag people to a Christmas dinner table. It was trying to get us all there and don't even worry about the Christmas spirit because it wasn't going to happen. We, you're just lucky to get them there. After a few of those, that's when I had decided um, I'd had enough of getting that lump of coal. I was just going to wave the white flag and go to the dark side. And you don't know the power of the dark side. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe in life, instead of feeling like it's silent night, holy night, and all is calm and bright, instead of feeling that, you have, you have uh, much different emotions tied to either Christmas or tied to life. What life is giving you in this moment doesn't feel like all is calm and all is bright and everything is just wonderful. There's a fear attached to what what life is giving you right now that is is much tougher. 
Maybe you're facing a bad health diagnosis and you're wondering what that's going to look like and it doesn't feel merry and bright. Maybe you're facing tough family issues where people aren't getting along and there's estrangement in the family and, and uh, it's not great. Maybe you're facing financial struggles and at Christmas time when everybody seems to be giving more and there's gifts going out everywhere and you feel obligation to be a part of that, the strain of it is just ever increasing on you and the fear of where you are financially is, is pulling on you. Maybe your fate is seemingly being held by other people. What you're going through, it's not up to you how it's going to turn out. Other people seem to control it and it doesn't seem like they even care that they don't understand what you're going through. And maybe you're going through more than one of those at the same time. And what it's doing is not creating a, a sense of all is well on Christmas season. It's, it's filling you with fear. And so what does this season have to offer us? Maybe all those touch points that are leading us to fear are supposed to lead us somewhere else. Last week, our gift was peace over anxiety. It was a peace that passes all understanding and brings freedom in Christ. And this week, I believe the gift that God wants to give us, as we unwrap our new little gift here, is the gift of love. The gift of love. And it's a gift of love that conquers fear. And so as we walk through a very familiar story at the Christmas season, let's listen and look for moments to behold the love that God has for us. In one of the accounts, it was written by uh, the gospel, the gospel of Matthew is written by Matthew, who was uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. And he wrote his to a largely Jewish audience. Each one of the Gospels is kind of written very, a little different. They have different audiences kind of in, in, in mind when they're, when they're writing them. And so Matthew is written to a very Jewish audience. And that's why when you read the book of Matthew, it's, it starts with a genealogy. It doesn't start with a, a, a beautiful story. It starts with a genealogy and starts going through all these names of people. And that's because for the Jewish people in Israel, ancestry, where you came from, who you were connected with, was, was a huge part of your identity. Knowing your ancestry was important. And when it came to Jesus, knowing his ancestral line and how it brought him back to that royal line of David was absolutely important for the prophetic call that he was to be that coming king. It was also uh, important for Joseph to know his ancestral home the town that he had to return to when the Roman emperor at that time declared that they had to do a census and all return to their ancestral homes to be accounted for. It's how Jesus could be born in Bethlehem as prophesied. Knowing where you, you came from was important. Knowing your history was important. And so when something is significant in your story, it's recorded and it's shared and it's experienced. And that's what Matthew is doing there. And what we see happening will lead us to how each person faces fear and had an opportunity to allow God to conquer that fear. We can see in Matthew 1, 18 to 21, where the birth of Jesus, uh, the story there begins. It says this, 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had, betrothed, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph was a good man, yet he feared for his future in that moment. How would anyone believe that he didn't get Mary pregnant before they got married, which culturally would have been a death sentence on both of them, a literal death sentence? How was he supposed to do that? How was he supposed to get along? And if he did stay married to her, what was that going to mean for them? He was facing all those things, all those real fears in his time, in his day and age. He was facing those things and wondering, how am I going to make this work? But God makes a way, doesn't he, to say, Joseph, you don't have to fear. He's a, he is lovingly given a dream to ease his fears and to, to endear him to the plans and purposes that God has for him, for Mary, as the parents of the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he chose to walk in the love of God in that moment, the purpose of God and the identity that God had for him. All the things that were what he thought life was supposed to be like, all the fears then that, that came when it didn't look like it was going to turn out that way were destroyed when he gave way to God's plan. But not everybody handles fear the same way in this story. Because we see in Matthew 2, 1 to 3, it says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of, king, of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard, um, sorry, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. See, when King Herod is troubled, all of his kingdom felt the quake. And Herod, like kings before and after, ruled by fear. And the only way to handle fear was to control it. So he was king at the time, and these wise men came to say, look, there's a new king that we came to worship. How do you say that to the face of a, the current king? He was livid. He was beyond livid. His fear drove him to something beyond that. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. 
and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These wise men come and worship this king. All the while, Herod is plotting and planning something different. And how Herod reacts to both the news of this new king of Israel, a threat to his rule, and the wise men avoiding him, it's both horrifying and sadly predictable for one so full of his own glory and driven by fear of losing that glory. Maybe Matthew concludes because he's, it's deeply personal for him. Maybe Matthew, who earlier in his life was a tax collector, who would have actually served under King Herod's son as ruler over that area before he, too, was a follower of Jesus. Maybe he has a connection there. Maybe he has a connection because he knew people, uh, families that, from that area that were affected by the horrible things that would happen. Maybe it was because it prophetically spoke to the fearful moment that Jesus was born in and what Jesus came to do. It says in Matthew 2, 16 to 18, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had, been, he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they care no more. Fear can often drive us to darker places where hate and destruction lie. It can cause us to be frozen when we don't know how to act, when we don't see hope around the corner and we give in to despair. And yet as we read, even in this, God saw it all. He knew that fear can drive you away and he knows every child who died in that moment, every parent who mourned. And he is with us as well as we mourn in no loss because he knew it too. Now for Joseph and Mary and Jesus though, the path was laid for fear not to consume them. Love provided a way. Now when they, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. Now, it's important that we see this clearly, both in this situation and for ours. Love made a way, but not by instantaneously removing the threat, not by shutting down all things bad, but in the midst of a terrifying ruler, love made a way. In our circumstances, we often hope that our fears of the worst possible outcomes will be vanquished, that love will make a way, and then they're not. But instead, what we're invited to is a place where the, the, uh, the outcomes 
the world around us and, the, and, the, and us in transitions, we have to make, uh, I'm, I'm getting lost in my words here, but instead what we're invited to is a place where outcomes, the world around us, the transitions we have to make can be made knowing we are in God's love. That what you're facing, it may not change. The health prognosis you face, asking God to take away that fear may not take away the health issue that you have to face. Your financial issues may not be immediately resolved when you say, God, I'm afraid of this. All those things may not change. Your relationships with other people may not be immediately restored when you say, God, I can't handle this. I'm afraid of all this brokenness in my life. All those things may not be restored. But what can be is the love that God has for you in that moment. That you don't need to live in fear when you're facing those things. I'm sure leaving and fleeing Israel was not the preferred method that Jesus' family had for dealing with that situation. To go back to a land that had been a land of their their enslavement years and years prior. That would not have been their first choice. And yet that was the way. What we know is that through it all, God will never abandon us. He will never leave us because love always abides, always perseveres. Love never fails. But when, he, when Herod had died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. Herod, the king who caused so much pain, And ruled by fear is dead. Behold, there is a new king, a new kingdom, and it is not ruled with fear, but love which conquers fear. So when Luke tells the story of Jesus, notice this exact, in this this story, he says this lines, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The message of King Herod is one of fear. And the message of King Jesus is fear not. The message of King Herod is all about being powerful to be served. And the message of Jesus is all about being empowered to serve. The message of King Herod is about loss. The message of King Jesus is rooted in love. Story of love in the midst of fear was for them tangibly real as it was happening about 8,960 kilometers from here on that very night. But it's also much bigger than that because for us in the midst of this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. When fear rules our lives, it speaks death to our dreams, our futures, and our life right now. That God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to conquer sin 
and fear is a gift beyond measure. Matthew ends his account of his, his gospel um, about Jesus, talking about a love which conquers all fear, a gift for each one of us. But like the shepherds in the field, this is a gift that we have to choose to behold. And why do I say behold? Because if you, if you were to look in Strong's Concordance, it defines that word uh, in the Greek language. It's a Greek imperative meaning, and it literally meaning, be sure to see, like fill in the blank. Be sure to see this. Don't miss it. It is an observable, objective fact. That's the idea behind the word behold. I need you to see this because it's right here in front of you. Don't miss this because it is objective. You can see it right now. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says that. Behold, notice this. Behold, I am with you. God is with you no matter what you're going through. He is with you. Behold, I am with you always. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. When you're going through something and it's easy, he's there. When you're going through something and it's the most difficult thing you could ever imagine in life, he is there. You're never alone in it. You do not need to give in to fear because the love of God is there for you. Herod and all those like Herod, all sin and strongholds one day will be no more. And even in the moments where we feel like we're still facing those Herods, sin and strongholds, he is with us and we know that this, this is true. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Jesus loves us with a love so perfect. When we accept him, he has the ability to drive out all fear. So today, if you are facing things in life and the enemy is using it to create fear in you, what will you behold today? Will you look at that fear and let it consume you or will you behold the love that conquers fear? David, who was a great king in his own right, had a revelation of the king who was to come, the king of kings, Jesus. And I want to read Psalm 27 over, to, over you today. And if you're experiencing a quake in life from Herod, uh, the Herods of life, or fear-inducing circumstances, as we read this psalm, may there be a divine exchange from fear to King Jesus' love for you. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, I will 
be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days of life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek. Hide not your face from me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they will breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take, take courage. Wait for the Lord. The Lord loves you, and he will drive out all fear. We are confident we will see the Lord's goodness, not our revenge, not our fairy tale endings, but the Lord's loving goodness, which surpasses anything we could imagine. Why? Because in the loving person of Jesus, hope has come, love has come, and we want to behold him.